0: Hi there, my name is Rob, and this is Film Streak. And every week here on Film Streak, I'm going to recap the last several movies that I've watched. And I'm trying to watch something new every day, and I've been pretty good about sticking to that. So we're going to keep this going. Now, if you're new to Film Streak, if you want to check out some other episodes, um, every week I try to build some kind of theme around them. It doesn't necessarily work out that way every time, but uh, it's been doing pretty good so far. And um, this week, I want to talk about a um, a specific topic that is really relevant right now. It's very timely, and it's very urgent, actually. And that is um, basically the topic of Ukraine. And this right now, I'm recording this in March 2022. And if you know what's going on, you know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of trouble right now in that part of the world. And you know, me being just kind of dumb, ignorant American, sometimes I need to, I need to refresh myself on what exactly is happening and, and maybe some of the history and just have a better understanding of things around the world. And, you know, I realized I didn't even really know where Ukraine was. You know, I knew it was somewhere near Russia, obviously, but um, in terms of geographically, like, how does this all work out? Like, what's the layout and 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 all this? I didn't really understand it. And so if I knew that that was something I was unclear on, I probably didn't know a lot about the, the culture there or the way of life or the people. And so I thought, well, look, here's a perfect opportunity to think about the power of film, the power of storytelling, and how that could give a just give a better idea, give some insight into what things are like in that part of the world and even some of the history of it. So, this week on Film Streak, that's what we're going to take a look at. And we're going to start with, and we're picking up on the streak, number 65. We're looking at Winter on Fire. And this is a documentary that was produced in 2015. Uh, I I think it's available on Netflix. It's actually available to watch for free on YouTube right now. The entire documentary is there. And this is a a documentary that covers the 2013-2014 time period. When you think about Ukraine and and maybe where it sits in the world geographically, but also in a geopolitical sense, um, I've always considered it part of Eastern Europe, but really more leaning towards Russia or like the old Soviet Union. And so seeing here how the people of Ukraine really didn't want any alignment with that. They wanted to be their own people, their own country, their own democratic society. This whole movement, this Maidan movement in 2014, you know, the... the. The way that people came together to make their voice heard and to stand up for themselves, I think it showed the people there and, and maybe just the world in general. It showed what can happen when people are united and they work together in a, in a very real on the on the ground kind of way. You know, it's one thing to say you're you're united with somebody, you stand with somebody. But when you're there face to face, shoulder to shoulder and you're holding the line. And you're standing up for what you believe in against, I mean, like some of the, the, the footage and some of the moments that um, take place in this documentary, there are people that are unarmed that are just there to make their voice heard, to, to be a part of this revolution that are going up against armed forces and they're running into live fire, which I mean, it shows the courage and it shows the the strength that the people here have. And that was a big takeaway for me is that these people believe in this so much that they're willing to do that. And it's happened all over the world. It's happened throughout history. But here is a, a recent instance of it that unfortunately now has maybe come around to bear in terms of um, this country and these people of Ukraine, they're not having to fight against their own government now. The government is with them. The government is working with its people. The entire country of Ukraine is working together now to fight off a foreign aggressor, which is, you know, I, it's it's unfortunate. I, I hate that that is happening. I think everybody, we can all agree that nobody wants this kind of thing to happen in the world anywhere. But to see that It's happened before and in different ways. And we'll talk about some of those in a minute. Um, Seeing this documentary really illustrates and and highlights the fact that these people found this. um, They found this strength. They found this backbone in themselves that was maybe there throughout history, but now is like reinforced. It's shit is like made out of steel now. And so... The, the, the bravery you see now, the courage you see now to stand up against one of the largest, you know, armies in the world and hold their ground. I think here in 2014, you see the, the, the roots of it, or at least the earlier iterations of it. And so this one was really powerful to watch. And it's really, I think it's really important to watch. Um, So I would recommend that if you can see it, however you can see it, Netflix or YouTube or maybe somewhere else. But Winter on Fire, definitely give that a watch. And you'll understand a lot more about the the hardship and the brutality that people of Ukraine have had to face just in the recent past, not even 10 years ago. So to know that this is at their doorstep again or it's be it's in their it's in their house now. They're not backing down. It's just not in their blood now, and so this will give you, I think, a, a really interesting insight into why that is. So check that one out for sure. Now let's move on to another one here. I'm gonna we're gonna go back in time for a little bit because I wanted to see what is the earliest film I could find. You know, in, in terms of helping me understand a little more of the history of Ukraine and and, and the region and the people there. And I found this movie, I say movie, it's a silent film from 1930, and it's called Earth. And now this is, again, it's a black and white silent film. It was a Soviet production. So already there, I have to remind myself that there's a level of this, there's a, there's a, a factor here that is probably propaganda. And yet there's still some merit to this in terms of with any film, you know, this is a narrative film. It's not a documentary. It's, it's, it tells a story, it's got characters and a plot and all that. And so with any of that level of, Creation or creativity to to make a film that tells a story. There is a freedom in that. Now, even if it's uh, if it's slanted one way or another, or maybe it's um, influenced one way or another, there's still a creativity in there. And so i I have to keep that in mind too. It's like there's probably some of this that is definitely sending a specific particular message with a specific agenda. But the people that were involved with making this, just like any other film, they have their own ideas. And there might even be some subversive elements to this that just kind of, you know, went under the radar. And so I, you know, I, I like to look for that kind of stuff. It's not always there. Maybe this is pure propaganda, But I thought it was interesting to just watch this and see what a film that came out of the Ukraine in 1930 looked like. And so this film in particular, it's about, it's a story about a village in the Ukraine where farmers are, in a sense, they're competing with other farmers. Uh, There's like a sense of rivalry and, you know, the onset of... um, technology with agriculture, like there's a, there's a moment where a tractor is introduced versus like the oxen plow, you know, the old uh, farming methods um, where you see how uh, a more mechanized technological change is happening and what that does to a small farming village. Um, And so, you know, in terms of the characters and the plot, it's very simplistic. It's really not very sophisticated. And ultimately the message, it seems to to me, it seems to read like, well, look, that's the way we would do things in the past, but now we're doing things this way. We're leaving those maybe traditions or, or beliefs or whatever. We're leaving that stuff behind because we're going to do this, which is better and faster for the greater good sounds a lot like uh hey come join the communist party but also i mean it it does speak to the changes that happens when progress comes along and so an important part with this film is not so much the story itself or even some of the themes even though those are those are relevant in a way but it's more about the glimpse of life in that time you know we're talking about 1930 this is almost 100 years ago and to see like this film was shot then and produced then and to see the 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 people from that time and at least get some semblance of what life might have been like back then um it's it's an eye-opening thing for me uh, even in terms of, you know, Hey, the, 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 photography, the way it's shot and, and composed, um, there's some, some stuff in here that is really still striking and distinct, but it's worth it, at least checking out if you can. Um, something to note about this is that this one's really hard to find, but I did find it through a service called Canopy. It's a K-A-N-O-P-Y. And it's a service, it's an online streaming service. But if you have a public library card, any public library, you can use that to create an account and you can watch any of these old uh, uh, foreign films or documentaries or, or you know, classics or even some modern day stuff. You can watch it there free uh, without any subscription or anything like that. So that's something to check out. I mean, you find this, you'll probably find a couple of the others that we're going to talk about this episode. But... um again it's just a it's just an interesting insight into the past and um that's number sixty six that is earth and number sixty seven is also tangentially related to this um it's but it's very recent. this is mr Jones from two thousand nineteen and this tells a little bit of a similar story or it's a story set around the same time period this tells the story of a journalist uh, by the name of Gareth Jones, who was looking into what he was seeing as some discrepancies in the Soviet Union about their economy and some of the, uh, the more, I guess, social changes or developments that were happening there. And he was a journalist who had previously covered Germany uh, in the early 30s and was witnessing... Like in real time, some of the things that were happening there and and how the Nazi party was becoming a presence um, and not quite to the point where, you know, we got to World War II yet, but was clear that something was happening there and it might not be a good thing. And so I guess he, you know, maybe just had a nose for, hey, something doesn't seem right with what's going on in Russia either. So he decided to look into it. He discovers that. There's an entire, um in history, or, or I guess over time, it's become known as Holomodor, which is basically a, a famine that took place in the Ukraine that was pretty much amounting to genocide, where a large part of Ukraine, uh that society, was being starved to death. And... So much of what the Soviet Union was depending on Ukraine for was grain output and for farming uh, as in as was illustrated in Earth right but um all of that product of that all the harvesting all the all the the benefits of of that land were being used for the greater good and the rest of the Soviet Union, so the fact that Ukraine was being forced to farm and work, but not getting the rewards of that. It was an incredible injustice. And and to the point where in order to not let the world know what was going on, that this was happening, it was all being kept under wraps. And when this journalist discovers the truth about it and firsthand experiences the starvation and the hardship and the suffering that is going on there by the people who, in some instances, as as he reports, they they resort to cannibalism because there is no food. Um, That's really, it's really disturbing. It's really, it's really sad to, to know that that happened. And so he, he then after experiencing this for himself, he goes to try and get this story out into the world. But what I took away from this, more than just this one man's experience and and this story was that the the people of Ukraine that this happened to, I, I mean, this was almost a 100 years ago. This was 90 years ago. But the fact that this happened in the history of that part of the world, it goes to It says something about the people there and what they've had to deal with throughout history, that this is a a society that's just been put upon in so many brutal and inhumane ways. And so, you know, to, to think that this part of Eastern Europe is so highly valued that the Soviet Union wanted it and... Even now today, Russia wants it. And yet the people there are are almost considered expendable in some ways. Like we don't want the people. We want the land for for what we can do with it or just to have territory. And that is so, I don't know, as impossibly, um, it's just heartbreaking. And so... To see that th- what's going on now is nothing new. It's happened before and it's and it's happened in, in in different ways in more brutal ways probably, but still it should never happen at all. And so it I think it at least gives me a little more understanding of the tragedy of what has happened there, but also the the burden that the people there carry with them, even to this day and so the sense that these people will fight for themselves they will stand up for themselves and protect their land and their way of life because they have a reason to i mean as anybody would but they specifically have lots of reasons to stand up for themselves and so I, I just thought this was a really interesting one to watch and to understand a little more of the history there and how it was uncovered, you know, and I'll talk about that in a second also, but that is number 67, that's Mr. Jones. You can check that out. I saw that on Hulu. You might be able to find that because it's really recent, it's 2019, so you might see that on some other services or, or, or even on DVD or Blu-ray, something like that. So check that one out. All right, let's keep it moving. This is number 68 and this is a documentary called No Place on Earth. Now, this was from 2012 and this is a documentary focused on a group of survivors that during World War II as Germany made their way east towards Russia, you know, they invaded Poland, Ukraine, all these areas and they um took many of the people that were living there in those parts of the world, as I mean, specifically Jews, they took them to either relocate them into ghettos or to the concentration camps. And all of those things are horrible. But what some families in in some parts of Ukraine did was they found caves, a, a system of caves to hide in throughout World War II. And you think about the, the desperation that is that is required for someone to say, well, we know where they're going to take us and we're not doing that, but we can't stay where we are and we have to find somewhere else to go. But there is nowhere else to go. So we go underground. You know, that's like literally like being between a rock and a hard place. You, There's no... Sensible reason to do that, but these people did it because they had to. And so this tells, this documentary kind of recounts some of the survivors and their stories of what happened, you know, how they managed to survive in caves. And it wasn't just for a few weeks or a few months, it was for like a year and a half, almost two years. It's for over 500 days. They were just living in caves underground, and occasionally pop up for food or for water or, or to, to find other things they need, but it was primarily living in caves. And probably the hardest aspect of all of it was that they had to always be alert. They had to, I mean, it was always about evading detection, right? They just could not be found. If they ever had to leave the cave for anything, they had to be sure that they didn't get followed. They didn't, and, and when they did get followed, you know, there's a there's a, a moment that's described when they were followed back to a cave. But the soldiers, the the Germans, they didn't enter the cave. They just stayed outside and waited for them to come out. And they waited for two months, and even though they were in there for two months straight, and all the problems that come with that of running out of food and you know uh, hunger starts to set in, and the fighting and the anxiety they managed to survive all the way to the point where they w- finally hit the day when they learned that the war was over and they were able to come back out and see the sun again, which it's it's just amazing that that the 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 need for survival will will drive people to 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 endure like that. You know, this one is probably more of a, a personal uh story to tell. I mean, it seems very clear, like the the families that were in these caves. Um, you know, they have very close, intimate connections with their experience there, especially the people who were children at the time. You know, they they can look at it as being just a part of their youth, even though it's very unique and Uh, unbelievable but for them it's more just part of being a child but this was available on another streaming service called Tubi which I never heard of before but I found this there and it's a free streaming service that you can watch documentaries and and foreign films and all that with some ads and stuff but um, primarily it's it's a good resource for some of these harder to find titles so I would check that one out. That's number 68, No Place on Earth. All right, let's keep this one moving. This is number 69. This is Azure Dust. And this is a documentary also on Tubi. Um, this is a documentary that recounts some of the stories of people who survived the Chernobyl disaster in 1986. And specifically, it's it's about two people in general. Um A woman who was there and who was pregnant at the time, and then a man who was a young boy, um, but uh, ended up staying there and as kind of a, I guess a, um, uh, like an escort or what they call them, uh, they call them stalkers, actually. And I guess there are people who uh, are part of the, what's called the exclusion zone, which is a, an area surrounding Chernobyl, the the power plant, and the city of Pripyat, which is where all the people who worked at the power plant lived, which is not far away. And you see how much of it is still, uh, it's still intact in a sense, but it is like overgrown and it is um, aged and it is, uh, it, it, it's even affected by the, the just the radioactivity in the area. And, When you see all the surrounding forests is orange and it's discolored and it looks so odd. And yet that is the area there. It's almost like permanently contaminated, if that's a way to say it. And so here, this documentary looks at that part of the world and specifically around the Chernobyl area. And these two people, it follows their... In their account of what happened that day and their memory of life in Pripyat before the incident, it's interesting to see that this small town of Pripyat in Ukraine, a town of 50,000 people, all basically in these housing apartment buildings uh, in these five districts, was just a normal place to live. It seemed very kind of young and and new and prosperous in a way and it was all built around this power plant and so to see how that went from its new pristine condition into what it is 30 years later um it's it's really staggering it's to to know that everything that happened in that power plant that whole incident It it contaminated everything, like physically, but it also tainted a lot. And by that, I mean these people's experiences as they went through life afterwards, but also the country as a whole. You know, the Soviet Union, I think, never shook that, uh, never shook the ghost of Chernobyl. It's like, this is a superpower. This is one of the world's biggest nations a superpower that screwed up so badly that they almost destroyed a continent if that's if that's a way to put it i mean it it is something that you you once you have that on your on your record you don't you don't shake that one okay so put it this way i knew about the incident loosely through history but also Watching, uh, There was a the series that came out on HBO a few years ago um, called Chernobyl, and it was about the, the disaster itself and then the investigation into how it happened and how to fix it and, and to keep it from happening again, that kind of thing. And also the amount of, let's say, denial or, or covering up that the government was willing to go through to not let it out into the world, it's just amazing to see that that is what the Soviet Union, the government there was willing to do to protect that reputation. And look, with good reason, When once that word of that gets out, like I said, you can't shake it. Alexander, the, the one of the main people that this documentary follows, he states it pretty clearly that the, the Soviet Union, the, the government there, would have probably been fine with letting everyone in this city die if it would mean that nobody knew that this accident happened. It was only because neighboring countries found out and discovered this and detected that there was an accident and the radiation and so forth. It's only because of that that they acknowledge that this even happened. So knowing that, like knowing that they were willing to sacrifice 50,000 people to not let this be out into the world, it says a lot. And again, it says like, this is the kind of thing that the people of Ukraine had to deal with. There's so much that has just kind of fallen on the Ukrainian people over time that, um, it's it's hard to sometimes see where the hope comes from. And yet this documentary actually gives us a little bit of that. You know, there's a woman, the, the other main person subject that this follows is a woman named Marina. And she was pregnant at the time of the accident and was exposed to severe radiation, but to the point where she could still evacuate and live life, but she was worried. And and they even tried to they basically tried to force abort her baby. She managed to, well, she figured out what they were doing, even though they didn't want to tell her that's what they were about to do. And she escaped. She went into hiding. She had her son. He grew up to be just perfectly fine, normal, healthy adult. And is even in this documentary. And it's just one of those things that it shows that you, you can still have life, you know, you can have a life, but you can have life, a sense of life out of all of the tragedy and misfortune that has been put upon you. And so I, you know, there's a part of this documentary that really reflects on how much was destroyed in terms of this city and all of the people that lived in it. Because once everybody left the city, they never went back. Nobody could go back. And yet many of them were able to move on. Not all of them. A lot of them did not make it. A lot of them died within years of this. But others did live on. Others did have something, uh, uh, they, they did have a meaningful life afterwards, despite all of this. So I think that's an important thing to take away from this, is that um, there's there's something about the human spirit and, and human nature that can't be just put away or put down. It will survive, it will thrive, if it has the opportunity to. So look, that's what I took away from this. It was really actually insightful into what happened to the people that live there. You know, a series like Chernobyl, as detailed and specific and procedural as it is, um, it doesn't tell you about the people that the, the people that were around all of that. That were, in a way, maybe just incidental to it. They didn't cause it. They didn't make it worse. They didn't fix it. But they were still there. And so here's an interesting look at that, I think. So check that one out if you can. All right, so number 70 here. We're going to catch up a little bit now. We're, we, we've gone through a little bit of history and a little bit of the background of the area in Ukraine and the people there. And here, number 70, this is Breaking Point. And this was produced in 2017, so it's not quite current, but it really does give you a good overlay of all the events that happened throughout history up till very recently. But it does also talk about the Holomador, uh the man-made famine that took place in the 1930s. It uh, also talks about that era of the World War II, um, you know, the the struggle for domination there in World War II between the Soviet Union and, and Germany, and Ukraine's right there in the middle of it. And it even jumps into 2004, up to current times, with the election of Yakunovich and all of the unrest and all of the um, protests and, and the Maidan movement in 2013. And then we look at what happened immediately after, which was within a week, Russia invades Crimea, which is a portion of the territory there that is right between or, or basically part of Ukraine. But Russia decides it's theirs and so they invade. It starts to unravel into other conflicts that come up all along eastern Ukraine. And even into the Donetsk region. And the the fact that Russia has started to manufacture this pro-Russian movement in Ukraine by sending in either what they call the little green men, which are people that are basically Russian soldiers, but they have no identification, they have no insignias, they have no markings, no obvious allegiance or um, anything to do with Russia, but they are very clearly sent there by Russia. Or they're using propaganda and disinformation and even social media and the the you know, mainstream press and, and the media outlets are twisting reality to bend to whatever narrative Russia is trying to establish. And b- basically that narrative is, it always seems to come down to there is Ukraine, but Ukraine is part of Russia. The people of Ukraine, they really want to be Russian. So we're going to keep that as part of Russia. We're going to take that back like it was in the Soviet Union. That's that's what it always seems to amount to. And yet it's very clear from all these other things that have happened in history, and especially the, the films we talked about, right? It's like Ukrainians, they want to be their own country so clearly want to do that. And so this, it, it kind of recounts some of the events after the Maidan revolution and even into the the later uh, invasion, you know, even including things like um, the Malaysian flight shoot down, uh, which, you know, Russians tried to not acknowledge that that was them. But once it kind of got out, once the whole world took notice of it, I, I mean, it was obvious. I don't think they ever really admitted to it, but, uh, we, we know who it is. Uh, or the Donetsk airport where there was a intense siege battle, um, that lasted for many days. I think 242 days, something like that. That, um, the Ukrainians were not giving it up. And, you know, that was a, a big thing where it showed, The rest of Ukrainian people that they can stand up to this force, but they have to pull together and they have to do it together in a united way. Um, And I think that was where after so much that had happened in 2013 and 14 with so much revolution and the government just being kind of in tatters, they had to really rebuild and reform things. And some things they did differently or did in a new way, but a lot of it was, we need a military again because our neighbors are knocking on the door with a sledgehammer. So they had to retrain their army, they had to rebuild their army, and they had to prepare them for real conflict. So there was a lot of people pulling together. There was a lot of the civilian population that volunteered to make this work. And yet at the same time, because of history, because of things that had happened, it was a it was a hard thing for just people in general to have a, a trust in, in government again, in in procedure and in process. And yet it's like you 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 have to have some trust there. It, it, it has to work on everybody's part. Is that like you can't have this kind of growth and this kind of progress without constantly working on it without constantly giving it attention and checking on each other and so that was a big part of that struggle is we got to get this whole country back on the ground back running again and we've all got to hold hands and do it together because if we don't it's not going to work and that you know i think that illustrates what is happening now in terms of The boots are on the ground. And even down to the government, the government officials are there. They're not running. They're not throwing their hands up. They're there and they're in it. And that speaks a lot to what these people have gone through and what they're willing to do to protect themselves and and stand up for their way of life. And look, I, you know, all of these films have really helped give me that insight Maybe that's clear if you pay a lot more attention to the news or just, you know, world politics or, or, you know, whatever, current events, I guess. But I don't always, unfortunately. I think most people don't. And so here, the, these films have actually been helpful for me. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the thing I took away from this one, I took away from this, from, um, you know, this documentary Breaking Point is that, it helped to illustrate what Ukraine means to different sides of the conflicts there. And it's it's said really concisely, and I just want to kind of paraphrase it, I guess, but it's like to some Ukraine served as a prototype for a quote unquote United States of Europe, a united entity where you can have different ethnicities. But there's a real sense of patriotism. There's a real sense of duty there to all work together. And yet, for other people, for other parties involved, Ukraine is more of a demonstration of their goals and their power. And, and hey, look, specifically for Russia, it's a way for them to show just how much they can undermine and sabotage and and damage free democratic societies around the world, especially their neighbor right there in Europe. I mean, th- there's, there's lots of arguments to be made about how much influence they really have versus just what's on paper. And here with Ukraine, it's like perfect place for them to just workshop at all. Like we're going to throw misinformation at you. We're going to throw propaganda at you. We're going to throw antagonists. We're going to throw instigators. We're going to we're going to throw rockets and missiles. It's like they're going to do whatever they can to just show they can do it. That's real unfortunate. And it's you know the problem with that is that it's going to have to stop somewhere, but when and how at how much of a cost. So, I you know, this one along with Winter on Fire, I think this would really help give a good context for everything that's going on today and also what it might mean down the road, depending on how things turn out. So again, that is a breaking point, the war for democracy in Ukraine. That's from 2017. And uh, I would definitely recommend you watch this one for sure. And also, you know, a part of this that it kind of gets glossed over But it it caught a real interest to me was this whole thing about this, this siege, this standoff at the Donetsk airport in Ukraine, which um, as it's spoken about, as it's kind of told like what happened, I I just thought that seems really incredible. There must be some other story about this. And sure enough, there is. (laughs) I did find a film called Cyborgs, Heroes Never Die. And that's from 2017 also. And this is a narrative film. This is basically kind of a retelling of what happened during that standoff, that siege uh, at uh, the Donetsk airport in Ukraine. And, you know, unfortunately, I have to say it's not that great. It's very clear that it was on a relatively small budget. Um it's got i mean it i think on one hand it wants to be a little more of an action film and yet on the other hand i think it wants to get a little bit deep into the reasons why it everything is happening with ukraine and russia and and you know the motivations for each side and and what it means to that society and and you know that culture So there's a little bit, there's a lot of like ruminating on the morality of it all and the reasons why. And yet there's, there's some parts where there's like firefights and action scenes, but they're pretty tame. They're pretty, um, the budget starts to show. Let me just say that. And, you know, look, I could even take that. I could even take, okay, this is just kind of a slow moving retelling of the incidents and maybe it's not all that thrilling. It's not an action film. But if we're gonna approach it from more of a realistic angle, okay. The problem I have with this film though is that the audio for it, there's no Ukrainian or Russian language track for it. So it's only an English dub where I saw it. And that was on Tubi also. The English dub for this film is so bad. <laughs> where we have a story that takes place in Ukraine, and we have characters that are obviously from the Ukraine or uh, even Russia, and yet all of these voices, the voice actors, sound American, and some of them even Southern American. Like I think a couple of these boys are from Tennessee or North Carolina or something, or maybe Alabama. I it took me so out of the film just trying to follow the dialogue and the the weight of it that i feel like they were trying to give it some gravity and give it some intensity i look i can't say it's necessarily the fault of the the filmmakers i mean whoever did this english dub they made some pretty pretty questionable choices i guess but uh, you know I, I gotta at least commend it for the effort. But that said, I would pass on it. I'm sure there might even be a, probably a documentary that I haven't found that might be better uh, suited for telling what happened during those days and and the whole uh, the way things transpired. But this film, this ain't it. So look, cyborgs, the heroes never die. Pass, pass on that one for sure. Okay. Um. All right. So that's number 71. Oh, this is heavy. This is a lot of heavy stuff here. And I'm glad that there are films like this that can at least give some, a little bit of information, a little bit of education on the area and the people and the history there. And yet, unfortunately, this doesn't compare in any way to what's going on right now. You know, the, the 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 tragedy that's happening there—it's it's hard to see and it's hard to kind of stand by and not know how anything can change or how any difference can be made. But to have an understanding of the character of the people that are there, and to know that—you know—maybe that's the thing for me. It's it's more about knowing whether you're whether you're back in the right side or not. I mean, I guess. There are so many different ways to look at what's going on. Not even there, but just at the world in general, right? There's there's always like two sides to every story, it seems. And sometimes it's hard to know if you're looking at it from the right side or not. And, you know, just as with some of these films and look, and there are plenty of other films and documentaries that I found that I wanted to watch for this, but I was trying to be very careful of watching something that was so clearly slanted or, or propaganda, which is outright propaganda that I didn't want to find myself in a place where I, I totally misunderstood either the history or, or incidents that happened in these, in these time periods. So you know, that's a big part of it for me is like uh, with film and and with storytelling and or even documentaries, you want to be sure you're getting the right understanding of things. And so I, I feel like these at least give some starting points. There are certainly other documentaries that tackle more specific topics w- with Ukraine or just w- with Ukraine, Russia um the the dynamics there, but um these I thought will at least get something going if you just have at least an interest or or trying to get a little more understanding so check some of these out i you know of these I would say winter on fire and breaking point those are very clearly the the more i guess relevant documentaries of the, the the narrative films, the feature films. Mr. Jones is actually kind of insightful. It's pretty slow moving, but it is interesting to know some of the things that happened at that point in history. But um, anything you can watch, anything you can see that will um, give you a better understanding and know a little more about what can happen or what is at stake for everybody involved, the better. But look, I'll tell you this. People are suffering right now in the world. I mean, people are suffering everywhere, but there's a particularly egregious problem that's happening in Ukraine. And for all of the people that are having their way of life destroyed, literally, if there's a way you can help, do it. And... That may not mean much in terms of what you can physically do, but if you can donate to a fund or at least spread awareness, give that a chance, you know? So at least do something there, help people understand, help people understand what this can mean, not just in terms of history or even like modern day. Hey, your gas prices are going up. So what? People are dying. Help people understand, like, there's a bigger picture here. And not only now, but in the future. You know, at this point, nobody necessarily knows how this will all turn out for those people specifically. But how it will turn out for the rest of the world. And so it's important that we all at least understand what's going on. Because, as I've said, as some of these things were happening in real time, just not even 10 years ago, I, I personally wasn't paying attention to it at all and didn't know the details and didn't know necessarily what was, who was right or who was wrong in any of it. And so if you have the chance, whether through watching a film or reading the news, just staying up to date with things, that's something to, to make part of your life. So anyway, all right. I at least wanted to bring some of these to your attention. Maybe you've seen them. Maybe you should see them. And until next time, go to filmstreak.com. You can check out other episodes. You can subscribe. And uh, hey, look, until then, stay safe, stay cool, and maybe watch some movies.